Tate Robinson on. He's and there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Juliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ryan Hello and welcome along to another episode of the Downhill Second Half Podcast. Joining me, Ian DL, is a man with the skills to do more confusing things with a computer than the mystery behind Albert Jarrett's continued selection during his time at Underhill. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. Hello, everybody. And alongside him, a man whose stock is currently soaring higher than a Norman Silla shot, is Mr. Craig Clayton. <laughs> Hello, Ian. Hello, James. <laughs> And uh, that's all today. That's no no guest on on today's show. Um, but before we have a little little respite um, and maybe a quick look back on what we've done so far, um, any particular highlights of the series up to now, boys? I, I just all, all of it. Really. I mean, just still feeling quite excited and quite nervous. Um, actually, through throughout, throughout pretty much the afternoon before a guest as well is still a weird thing, but. It's all been quite surreal. It's hard to, to pick it, pick a moment out. I think. Yeah, I think uh, it's been it's been fun to hear some like stories from the, the inside that you know we won't have heard before, and um, it definitely sort of brings back a lot of very good memories of perhaps things that were memorable, but we didn't perhaps remember off off the top of our head. Obviously, these things are you know fifteen, sixteen, twenty years ago, so it's actually been nice to reminisce, I suppose. Yeah, I like I like the bits where um, something odd, ha- you know. So you know, Ben Shrevens leaving the club, um, sort of inexplicably before the end of the season, or um, Scott Tynan sort of not not being picked regularly after having taken us up, or, or whatever. Those kind of stories that I suppose you'd either say we only heard one side of, um, or or just didn't hear anything about really because it, it couldn't be talked about at the time, and suddenly you get the the scoop, uh, you know, 10, 15 years later in some cases on some of them. So it's, I like that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, look, as, as much as anything else, a highlight for me has been that Greg Heald was known as Groovy, which uh, really doesn't fit with what you think of when you picture Greg Heald. I'd love to find out more, hopefully, about that. It is that now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think obviously a guy's thinking about, yeah, that kind of, uh, I suppose excitement, almost embarrassment when they come on the Zoom call for these that we've been recording. There is that kind of like, oh, they're here, um, and, and it is, it is exciting. I suppose it's made me think back a little bit to what it was like. Uh, you know, certainly not just a few years ago, but going back a long way, like as a youngster, that thing we talked about. I think right at the start of the podcast about uh, a big thing with supporting a team like Barnet is you've kind of got access to your heroes. Um, Craig, obviously, I know you were in in and amongst it a little bit earlier than me and James. Um, have you got any particular early memory of the first interaction like this, but with the players? It's, yeah, I'm not. It's difficult when you're really young. You don't really know what's going on. It's sort of it, it seems normal. I, I remember that there was a player called Jeff Cooper who, towards the end of his playing career, might have been just after he finished actually. A little bit like Gratz told us when he was blowing up balloons for for children's parties. I think Jeff Cooper um, moved into doing some of the community side of things and used to to run the suppose what you call a, a soccer soccer school kind of thing or, or you know the, the, the football courses that you could go on uh, in the holidays and um, yeah I, I used to do a lot of that and he'd put on coaches for the for the you know kids and their, their parents to go to away games as well um, and I remember as a 
five, six, seven-year-old, however old I'd have been, um, going away to Torquay uh, on one of those trips. And um, we played against uh, other kids on the pitch at half-time, Barnetby Torquay in a five-a-side match. Um, and I just remember the roar of the crowd uh, as, as, you know, seven-year-old whatever, seven-year-old Johnny from Torquay is, um, is, is, is getting the ball and, and attacking our goal. It was surreal and weird to think back. And I think that went on the newspapers. But, but I suppose that would be interaction with, with Jeff Cooper at the time. But you, you're too young to really, you know, get weird about that. It's, it's just you're playing football and sort of loving life because everything's great when you're six. Yeah, I think I think there's yeah, obviously that really when you're really young, you're a bit starstruck, and I think as you get a little bit older, that sort of like I don't know, late primary school, early secondary school age, you've got a bit more confidence about you when you meet adults or people that you don't know or you know people you do know but don't know personally like these players. Um, I remember for me certainly standing on the North Terrace, uh, quite quickly becoming quite over familiar with the way I'd address the likes of Lee Harrison and Danny Naysbitt, where I'd kind of like lean over the barrier when I got in the ground and be like, "All right, Lee, all right." Uh, like as if we were mates or something, which hopefully after the podcast the other day, we've been obviously now considered us all <laughs> friends, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we think we're <laughs> um, See, it doesn't leave you, does it? Uh, but um, yeah, and I remember obviously with the goalkeepers in particular, because of the proximity to the North Service, and James, you might recall this as well. After every game without fail, you'd be asking for the goalkeeper's gloves and it wouldn't just be one or two. There'd be like this swarm of kids behind the goal asking for the gloves, the towel, if the water bottle was going, it didn't really matter. Um, and I remember uh, right at the end of, I think, the 2002 season, the last game of the season, were good play- it was a good time to kind of have your prime position there to, to get your stuff, basically, because they're getting rid of it. And um, Ricky Millard, who at that point had never played in the first team, had been on the bench a few times, uh, came over, I think, just before the game, and he chucked these like Adidas gloves into this like group of kids at the front. I remember a few of us pushing and shoving and I remember getting one of Ricky Millard's gloves and it was like battered, like all the bit on the inside, the padding was coming away. Stuck it in my bag because obviously you take a bag to the match when you're that age to put your programme in and whatever else, or I did. Um, and then just turned up at school with Ricky Millard's right-hand glove the next day. I remember sitting in geography being like... Um, yeah, what? This? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> oh, oh, this? Oh, yeah, Ricky Millard's glove. Yeah, no. It's <laughs> and uh, thinking that was normal and really cool. You can tell why I was so popular at school. Yeah, I, de- I definitely remember that being a thing in my early days of going to Barnet when I stood on the North Terrace. It almost it almost got to a stage, you talked about it being in the end of the game. I I remember it being you almost had to reserve it at the start of the game, like when they're doing their warm-up. Because obviously when you're that age, you get into the ground almost the moment it opens. So two o'clock, you're in there before anyone's there. And then the two goalkeepers would always generally come out and warm up first. And then you're sort of like, are you going to do it? You're looking at your mates like, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Are you going to ask him? Are you going to ask him? And eventually I did actually get a pair of Lee Harrison's gloves. I can't remember what game it was, but I got them. Um, and like you, Ian, I don't think I wore them to school, but I definitely, uh, I did fancy myself as a goalkeeper in my mid-teens, um, and I would wear them playing football, and I, I ruined them, and I thought I really ought to have kept them. That, that might have been not quite a nice thing to have, but my first interaction with Barnet players was actually before I started going to Barnet. So, obviously, they used to train at Firstfield quite a lot uh, back in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s, and 
at Firstfield when you used to go to I, I lived in Potter's Bar, so all the schools in Potter's Bar they used to sort of contact them and get all the kids to go to these like summer camps things like they put all these activities on. So we'd be around the first field centre when all the players were there. And I definitely remember one year, it was just after the 9-1 Peterborough game. And it was either the half term afterwards or it was quite recent because everyone sort of heard about that 9-1 game, whether you supported Barnet or supported anyone in that league or not. And uh, all of the kids, myself included, when the Barnet players sort of walked through to go out to play on the AstroTurf, we just sort of looked around and muttered under our breath like 9-1 9-1 Grazioli 9-1 so it was just taking the piss out of them quite a lot in between and then, uh, and then who knew that two years later that I'd be stood on a terrace trying to um, trying to support these lot I quite like the uh, the bit where you said about like <laughs> with your friend where you go like are you gonna do it you're gonna do it. like building up to that is such a thing and I'd forgotten all about doing that and I remember Someone who we've talked about very fondly a lot on here, but I am going to say something negative about in terms of what he did to me and my confidence, was uh, I think the same season I was on about before, so like 0102. Up to that point, every game, it didn't matter, and there's something that Craig said before, I'd get as many autographs on my programme as I could. Didn't, didn't care if I had them every week. So I probably had like Austin Barkley's autograph six or seven times that season, Leon Bell, uh, you know, not necessarily the main players in the team, but whoever's, whoever's there, yeah, sign the programme, please. And uh, I remember, again, being the one in our group, you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to ask, you're going to ask while the players are warming up before, I think it was more come up home. And uh, I was leaning over the North Terrace barrier and it was the first game of the Shreves and Allen era at Underhill. And um, Lee Flynn, who probably signed my programme 15 times already that season, trotted over, started to sign it. And uh, as he's, his pen sort of coming back off the page, Martin Allen, who's warming the players up, was like, Lee, come back here. You see the little boy afterwards. And I was 13 and, and little boy, it just absolutely killed me. I think that literally was like the end. I, ne- I never, don't think I ever asked for an autograph again at Barnet after that, which maybe it was time to move on. But uh, yeah, Martin Allen really uh, shot me down there. Right, and he's, yeah. That when you're mentioning the, um, that kind of end of season reaction, um, asking for pretty much anything that the players are wearing. I do remember um, just sort of, provoked a memory of Peterborough away in the playoff year. I remember at the end of that game, when the players went in or came out or whatever, and they came to applaud the fans, end of the season, we did all go, on, or a number of us went on the pitch. I've been quite young at the time. I remember running on and getting next to Mark Harbour and, and thinking, A, he's huge. I'm just walking next to him now as he walks back into the, to to the dressing room off the pitch. But B, what do I do now? <laughs> I got there. And I'm stood next to him and I'm walking back with a mob of players and right next to Mark Arbour, just sort of bowled along next to him, just thinking, yeah, that's it. Mark Arbour, end of the season. Nice. It's really weird. Really weird. Don't, don't know what was going on. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, like, it's any excuse for, for interaction. And like you say, you try and get maybe, or maybe you naturally get a little bit cooler and calmer in that scenario when you get a bit older. I know that sort of if you think into your, as you get into your teenage years, there's like the other opportunity where you're, you don't maybe look as busy by being uh, in and around it. So I remember like the Barnet Christmas Fair every year, um, which wasn't a great event, if I, if I remember rightly, but there was the Barnet store and they'd have players there for a bit. I remember one year um, paying a pound to have a Polaroid photo taken with uh, Wayne Purser, which I don't know where that is, actually. It must be somewhere still. Um, James, didn't you have a moment with Dean Sinclair at one of them? 
I did, yeah. So this that was a little bit older at this point, but I think like Ian says, the Barnet Christmas Fair itself was probably, you know, if you look at if if you went there now, you'd probably look back on that and think perhaps it's not the best event in the world, but for three hours it was the greatest experience ever because all the players would be milling about uh, and you would just stand there sort of awkwardly chatting to other Barnet fans that were in and around the area. But yes, Dean Sinclair, it was just after that goal he scored at Crawley, the um the well, it gets further out every time I say it, but the roughly 30-yard half volley that he scored there. Um, and this was in the age where you could the highlights were out, so you used to be able to video it on your phone, and it was like the crap old phones where the, it was you couldn't make anything out, basically. And Bluetooth had just come in. So I went up to Dean Sinclair, all sort of, uh, you know, bold and, bold and confident. I went, yeah, you're right, Dean. How's it going, mate? Yeah, great goal at Crawley the other night. Uh, got a got a video of it on my phone here actually uh do, do, do you want it do you want it and I, I, I suppose a little bit of me was like expecting him to go yeah yeah just just give me your number and uh i'll give you my number and uh it'll be fine but i ended up bluetoothing it to him and it didn't work so i'm just trying to, try to awkwardly make my phone bluetooth it to, to dean sinclair and he's like he'd be impolite and everything else but he must have been sat there thinking what is this guy doing I don't. I don't need it. I could just watch it on the telly if I really need to. Yeah, my overall memory of those sorry, just quickly, is that you'd you'd get there before they turned up, and there'd be a lot of anticipation and, and excitement about them turning up. It'd be bloody cold, and you turn and you'd stand there. They'd turn up, and then you think, "Oh, I don't have anything to say to any of these people." So you sort of look at them a bit, a bit oddly, until they pass through. You might say a couple of things, and they pass through and go, and then you realise you are just a guy that just stood in a Christmas fair and um, stared at some people that you you watch on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> very odd. All very odd. It was, it, was almost that, it was almost that bit like, even like before, are you going to go and talk to him? Are you going to go and talk to him? Because you, you just end up talking to the same person that you've been talking to for the last 20 minutes about, oh, so are you going to, uh, are you going to Gravesend on Saturday? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to Gravesend. Yeah, what, what about what about Boxing Day? Are you going to go? Yeah, yeah, I'm probably going to go on Boxing Day. And it just sort of, you had to buck up the courage to go and talk to these people. It's just, you still get a bit starstruck even then. Awkward for everyone. And then it, I suppose it always comes back to, it seems a lot of these things about the, uh, the Durham suite, but uh, obviously I think Lee Harrison referred to on his one about the player of the year awards, which they kind of evolved for us over time as we got older and could maybe join in with some of the fun a bit more. But again, I remember some of those in that, in those younger days where, it's it, it sort of similar sort of time to the Dean Sinclair era that you were about there, James, where I remember talking to Paul Fairclough <laughs> um, at one of these. I think it was the year we made the playoffs rather than when we won the league. It was. Um, <laughs> but I was trying to be really like, uh, trying to talk with a bit of confidence. I was being really positive. I was saying, you know, you've done a great job in next season and blah, blah. And I don't know if it was his way of getting rid of me or if, I don't know what, but then... <laughs> He just turned around and was like, um, have you met my daughter, who was probably five or six years older than me? Um, and I just remember being like, well, how out of order is that to put a 15-year-old boy on the spot in front of like, <laughs> and what what do you do with that? I remember like, just kind of like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and then looking, go, walking off and trying to find Simon King for a picture. Uh, <laughs> and just let's, like, on it. <laughs> yeah, let's pretend this never happened. Um, yeah, I, I remember that very well, actually. And there was also the, um, not just the Player of the Year dues. Remember there used to be that sort of, around that time they used to have parties at time, certain times of year, didn't they? They had like a Christmas party and a 
Halloween party and uh, the infamous St George's Day party, which is, uh, well, that's a different story altogether. It didn't involve any players, but um, a very funny story perhaps for another time. But yeah, it was there was always some, some level of anticipation, certainly at the Christmas and the, uh, and the Halloween do's, as to whether a player would turn up. And invariably, it would be... Um, Liam Hatch would be the one that would turn up, and it was obviously very exciting to see him dancing around and having a, having a few drinks uh, around the Durham Suite. It was always very entertaining. Um, but another thing I remember in the Durham Suite was a. Do you remember the time that Martin Allen uh, auctioned off to people? It was uh, he did like a Q and A session, and he auctioned off. He just announced it there and then that he was going to do a a team. Like he was going to get a supporters team together, independent of the actual supporters team that was running, and you could pay fifty quid or something like that, and you could have a have a game against the first team on the pitch at Underhill. Do you remember that? Yeah, was that the night where he walked, he walked in and uh, he he walked into Tom Hark with the Piranhas, and he he's like he got everyone to stand up and clap with him, and like just like a Thursday night in January or something, and then yeah, and actually it's all, it's all flooding back to me now that like in that Q and A. I put my hand up and asked a question and, and he buoyed me off again. He maybe said his answer before he answered the question, shouldn't you be like, I'm doing homework? And again, like, Stop taking a piss out of me, Martin. I, I wasn't at that, but wasn't that where that, that sort of infamous bloke, the absolutely Martin bloke turned yes. up? Was there. Yes. It was like a stooge in the, in the crowd or the audience crowd audience that um everything oh absolutely martin absolutely just just agreeing with everything to sort of get in like that endorsement he needed and he he disappeared as martin allen disappeared i seem to remember from going to games that's um, right yeah very suspicious I, I feel like a lot of managers had that sort of uh person in the crowd that would sort of be <laughs> like mr mr burns in the simpsons with boo Ernes and smithers I'll, 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 I'll <laughs> you, you remember completely different era but we'll come back to the martin allen thing do you remember when, when uh, mark stimpson was the manager there was that couple uh, like sort of middle-aged couple who, who turned up with like a gillingham flag and and, and were gillingham <laughs> fans and you're like what are you doing here it's barnet v chesterfield over there no no we just support mark simpson but you've got a Dillingham flag. Yeah, he should never have left. <laughs> uh, what was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is strange. Like, who were Gillingham playing that day and why weren't they there? They're just, they're just Mark Stimpson fans. Um, so, yeah, this, this Martin Allen thing, obviously, the, the, the price range of 50 quid for a place in the game, it seems like, uh, you know, for that sort of experience, it, it seems like you just do it. But, obviously, we're at an age where 50 quid was an awful lot of money and that's, you know, two away games. That we're not going to if if we pay that money, um, but there was a sponsors' day. It was either on the day of that first team game or the day before. I can't remember which one it was. And I didn't sponsor any of the players, but people that I knew did. So I somehow managed to wangle my way into this um, sort of sponsors' day uh, <laughs> again at First Field. So there I am. I've turned up in my uh, full goalkeeper kit because I had a, I had a full goalkeeper kit. Uh, my not Lee Harrison gloves because I think I damaged them to an extent that I couldn't use them anymore. But uh, yeah, I, I remember we had like a, a warm up session with all the players, and it was all a bit exciting seeing it, seeing the whole squad there. And um, obviously, not being the greatest goalkeeper in the world at that age or even well ever since, um, they were just taking the piss out of me basically they were just scoring left right and center Gratz was 
Scratch probably chipped it over me at some point. I can't remember what he did, but he, he definitely made me look stupid, left me on my backside. Um, it was like that clip of, you know, Michael Owen when he's uh, at Stoke and he's playing, in, playing against that 13-year-old kid in goal and uh, he's basically making the kid cry. That's that's how I felt, but I just sort of felt a little bit forgiving because it was uh, Gratz and Strevens and Hatch and King and all the rest of it. I played squash with Gratz a few years, like a few years ago, which I'd completely forgotten about, which is similar to that. And I remember when he went to serve, just one on one playing with Gratz. And when he went to serve, I was in awe of this guy. It was really, really weird. And he used to shout various things in like, Italian that were quite scary to play against as well. It's all mental, like all mental. Obviously, with Gratz, he's kind of been in and around it a bit because, you know, he knows some of the, uh, the guys that we're friendly with, but a little bit older than us. And obviously, he's local as well. Didn't you have, I seem to remember when we were in a, of a similar age to what James was talking about there, you end up around his house or something. And I, I remember getting lots of texts, as it would have been there, not, not WhatsApp texts, definitely. So embarrassing. So embarrassing. So, um, God, where to, how to do this justice? I, I, knew, I knew a family member of his... He, I, I didn't know he was the family member at the time. And we were playing football one day in the park. I, was, I probably would have been about 15 or 16. Is that too old to be playing football in the park? I think that's fair enough. Um, I've been doing it for about 20s anyway. But um, no, so I, I knew a family member of his and he said, oh, he only lives around the corner. I was like, you know, you're kind of in the park with friends. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, no way is that true. No, no, no. Like, he's my, I can't remember exactly what, what the relationship was, but he's a, rel he's a relative of mine and he lives around the corner. You can come and meet him if you want. I'm like, shut up, really? I can go, I can go and meet Grazioli. Never, no way. He's going, honestly, we'll do it. He goes, it's his birthday next week. I think actually turned up to be like his 30th birthday. <laughs> Quite a big birthday. And um, come and meet him on his birthday. I was like, yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to. So I'm at home thinking about <laughs> this thing. And I probably, again, would have been texting all you lot very excited about this moment. And um you can't go empty-handed. I'm going to have to get him a birthday card. But I didn't have any birthday cards, so I made him a birthday card. What? <laughs> <I went> on. <laughs> this is all genuine, right? So I went on the... Hang on, That's an exclusive, like, on the podcast. I've, I've never... <laughs> Are we talking about colouring pencils and everything? <laughs> Clip up. <laughs> What do you call him in the car? He can't write Giuliano. So he settled on Davis Christian. <laughs> in a birthday card oh. I made on my computer at home <laughs> so the day comes round right and I'm on with this fucking makeshift birthday card I must have been 16 or 17 there's no way is any of this reasonable right so and he lived he literally lived a couple of roads down from where I, from my parents where I was. So I, so I, I don't think I even went with the person I knew. He just went, go to this door or whatever and knock on it at this time. And I'm like, oh God, this could be it. I've got this bloody thing, right? So I turn up 
and it is his house, right? So I, he, I think his mum answered the door and he's, it's his 30th birthday and I've just pitched up with this weird guy. Like, and I'm like, now I've got to give it to him. Like, you know, when you, you know, when you do something like that and it's, you know, it's a bit odd, but you only realise how odd it is when you turn up and you've actually got to do the thing. It's one of those moments, right? So, so I go in and he's like, he's, I think he'd just been playing FIFA or Pro or something like that as was, was at the time. Went and sat on the sofa with him in, in the front room. He's, he's like got a signed uh, picture of him that he's done for me that he gives me, which I think I've still got framed somewhere. So you're in this kind of happy, happy birthday. <laughs> how are you, mate? How, what's going on? But I, but I remember, um, I can't remember what we talked. I must have been there 20 minutes, feeling quite embarrassed about the whole thing. Um, but he, look, it was his parents' place. He was lovely, like, so lovely about it all. And he, um, he was so cool. And he had a phone call from someone. I don't know who it would have been. Um, I was to wish him happy birthday. And his mum came in and she went, and I remember her saying, oh, he's just with his uh, friend at the moment. Um, and I, oh, now his friend, you know, like that. His mum said it. So I, it must be, it must be a thing. And I remember, that I, I, I mean, God, what, what bit about this isn't embarrassing, but I remember equally embarrassingly um, from the terraces, certainly in the, in, the, in the games after that, shouting things like, go on, mate. Well done, mate. Good luck, mate. All that kind of thing. Not, not, not audible for him, but very much audible for anyone around me who I probably was trying to show off a little bit to about how he was my friend. Super weird. So there's, I, there's no no credibility in any of that, but it's true. All of it's true and quite funny. I wonder if he'd uh, if he'd have come on if he'd heard that. I'll be reminded <laughs> of that before we did his episode. Um, I, so I wonder if he's still got the card. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he has. I, I don't know where we go after that because uh, I've never, well, I, obviously I've heard that story a few times, but I hadn't heard the element about the birthday card. That is extremely funny. Well, uh, I feel like we might, it almost looks like we're ganging up on Craig now, but I, it sort of leads me on quite nicely to the next part, which um, I was going to say, obviously, by the time we hit about 18 or thereabouts, you start to be a little bit cooler in these sort of scenarios and, and you know, you can you can have, me. have a social life yourself or anything. Um, but then I, I kind of bring us to, I think we had Northampton at home uh, December time, I think, 2005. Uh, just after Craig, I believe you turned eighteen already. Um, anything significant about that game for you? <clears throat> no, it was a good game, wasn't it? No, I um, I think I know what you're angling at here. So, context of this is that probably a couple of years prior to that, there'd been an away game where we thought that there was a youth player who um, we didn't know about. It was was warming up with our team. Turned out that um, a fan had been just put in. Uh, as a mascot, and he was—he was old enough that he could be a youth player, but you know, not—not not eighteen, probably. To be fair, it looked really small. It turned out as a, it was a, as a mascot, and I don't know. I think between me and my parents, I'd had it in my head or something about doing something similar. And um, I, you know, I could certainly try and be a bit cool about this and say that oh, my parents offered it and I just didn't stop it. But I, I definitely would have egged it on a little bit because I quite—it was. It's one of those things where it, it was still quite an exciting idea to be on the pitch with the players. I remember coming around your house about two weeks before and uh, going in the, in the back room where we used to play PlayStation and uh, you like just handed me this letter, like, have a look at this. And it was like, yeah. you know, dear Mr. Craig Clayton, you will be mascot for the Barnaby Northampton game. And having to be like, oh, mate, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. Like, I actually still think out of order. 
that I didn't step in and say, like, mate, don't do it. Like, come on, you're bigger than all the players. <laughs> well, I was, I was a big guy, wasn't I, as well? Like, I mean, six foot and carrying a lot of weight, to be fair. Not even in like a, like a, a, a round way, just a big, like a big guy, a rugby, big, a fat rugby player, basically type, type look. And then, yeah, no way, and got very white legs and no shorts. No, no, I mean, just the whole appearance of it. But I remember turning up, I saw, remember turning up at the ground and, and again, like, like that knock on the door moment at Gratz's house or, or whatever, thinking, this is, this is, this is ridiculous. There's no way this can go well. So, Anyway, did, you, uh, did they send the players you to France, or did you have to get changed at the ground? <laughs> well, I don't. So I don't mean I got fully changed, but you've got to take. You're not going to turn up in a full kit. So, <laughs> well, I don't know. There's an element of taking some stuff off, isn't there? <laughs> right. So that must have looked a bit bizarre. Football boots, a lot, and uh, Paul Fairclough was the manager, anyway. So. <laughs> Paul Fairclough, he's not a big guy, is he? So here's me towering over Paul Fairclough because he sort of does the, you, is it your big day-to-day kind of thing? I must have looked so odd. And anyway, he, Paul Fairclough as well being, I have to say, incredibly professional, took it very seriously. So he's, you know, how old are you? <laughs> all that kind of, the kind of question. Come and warm up with the players. And I'm thinking, oh, I, I mean, a five-a-side or kick the ball at the goalkeeper, yeah, by all means, but not... a Warm up with the players, like, and I, you, you might remember on the on the Gratz one. I didn't mention it there, but there was a they used to do very they did different things under Paul Fairclough that, that weren't common at the time. So they used to have I'm trying to describe. They used to have a warm up exercise where they would sort of put the ball under the under their leg and swing it like so. It's, it's a stretch really. So you put the ball behind your leg and under. But it was quite um, it's a bit like patting your stomach and rubbing your head or whatever. Or whatever the things at the same time. It was all a bit awkward, and I was like. I was, I'm already being called a fat bastard from the from half the East Terrace. There's no way I'm going to start trying to do this thing that the players, these athletes, are quite embarrassed about doing. I'm going to fuck this right up. So I sort of almost stroppy teenager style didn't do it, which then made it even worse because now I'm in this ludicrous situation of being amongst it but not willing to take part. <laughs> oh, it was awful. And then, I, then there was a um, like a, a one or two touch keep ball, five-a-side type exercise, and I got put in to play. And I, I still think I held my own. And I do remember Gratz coming back after at the end and being like, you did all right in that. And I was like thinking, I was, you know, uh, mate, yeah, pro- yeah, frankly, probably. He, he knew who I was and remembered who I was from the birthday incident as well, which was, was a bit awkward. And, um, and uh, all right, so before we get to probably more of an exciting bit, I remember before the players came out and I had to lead the team out, of course, I don't think I held Ian Hender's hand. He, he didn't really want part, any part of that. To be fair, none of them really wanted any part. I didn't. It was all a bit awkward. But remember, Liam Hatch was one of the subs and he was out warming up and um, he'd been asked to you know, kick a ball around with the mascot. So I, I, I'm now passing back and forth from Liam Hatch and he was actually a right arse about it because he kept kicking the ball a little harder than he needed to, I think, to make, try and make me look a little bit silly or maybe just because he thought the whole thing was a bit ridiculous, which he would be entitled to feel. And, um, but, so I thought, well, I'm having a bit of that as well. And I kicked the ball back at him quite, quite hard as well. And it got a bit, 
like weird like that. But his touch was awful. I remember, I remember thinking that. I remember thinking he'll lose control of this before I did. Anyway, that's my last. No one was, no one was watching him though. I just remember standing on the East Terrace and it was like a car crash. You just couldn't take your eyes off it. Like, <laughs> just <laughs> it was, it was, it was the black kit, which if I remember rightly, was black shirt, black shorts, but white socks. And obviously, with the colour of your legs, it was like black shirt, black shorts, then just a big load of white, and then boots at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was that. It was that kit. And then anyway, so that, that, that leads us on to just before the match that started. And it, what prompted the memory of this? Because I've got a picture yeah. somewhere, which I don't know how I got hold of it because it wasn't taken by me. Of you stood <laughs> stood in the tunnel. It must have about three minutes to three. Um, there's no way else there. You actually literally look lost, like you're waiting for someone to come and hold your hand. <laughs> and uh, and obviously you're about to lead the teams out. The um, thing is, mate, at this point as well, you've got to remember as well, right? So at two o'clock when it all starts, there's no one really in the ground. It's fine. Right? It's a local derby, Christmas give or take, you know, or it's maybe not a local derby, but. It's a local, is they're going to bring a thousand or, or in that region? It's a, it's a pretty busy underhill. And, was, and, and, I, and I was stood there and you're thinking, uh, I've, got to, I've got to go out there now with everyone in. And, you know, the last people coming in, those from the pubs, etc. So you've got the worst bit who just turned up. And, um, yeah, as you say, three minutes to three and the, uh, the opposition team come out. Now, the opposition at that time, their captain was Sean Dyche. <laughs> so now obviously that was I didn't Sean Dyche wasn't the Burnley manager that you know that we know now Sean Dyche was that was that he looked like Sean Dyche with that voice and he came out and he's he's bloody menacing and he's looking at me and I'm I'm oh, honestly it was I'm I don't it was terrifying it was absolutely terrifying did he think and ridiculous. you were one of the starting 11 or something in glasses yeah, <laughs> that's the other bit about it. That's the other bit that's mental. Like it's a full kit and glasses just out. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it it it's so odd. Did you? Um, they must have thought there's something wrong with me. They must have thought. <laughs> did you run out with the players? <laughs> because I remember when I was a kid and I did it. You obviously you're jogging with the cows. <laughs> did you try and keep pace with Ian Hendon? <laughs> Ian, I was bigger than most of the people on our team. <laughs> I was, I, I'm looking down there. I'm bigger and in some cases older than some of the people on our team. It's, it's mad. And, um, I, I, no, I, 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 would have, I, I don't remember, but I, I know I didn't clap or anything like that. I, mean, I didn't give it. Well, I, thing is, go on. I, think, I think the one saving grace for you is that that happened in that season as opposed to a few seasons later. Do you remember when they used to get the kids... And this is, I thought it was quite a nice thing actually for the kids to do it when they used to do like a half lap of the pitch. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. They, uh, yeah I do. It, it, like it would have been just like the nail in the coffin for you if you if you'd have had to run up the halfway line to the East Terrace and then run all the way down to the bottom of the East Terrace in front of the old South Stand and then back in front of us in the main stand. Or no, we might have been in the East Terrace at the time. God, can you imagine that? Because we, we had a friend of it, we had a, we had a friend obviously who did that for his thirtieth birthday, and um, I think he uh, did we? he embraced the um, situation a little bit better than you did, because uh, he he turned up in very short shorts and a tight fitting uh, old school barnet top, and he just sort of went for the run and he just he went for it and just did it, and he I think he I think he uh, understood the um, irony of the situation, but when you're eighteen, I think it's a little bit more difficult to do it. I think that was the 
problem. I think in my head, <clears throat> leading into it, it was exactly that. You, you, it's ridiculous, but you own it kind of thing. And then that is it. But you're right. At 18, you're, it's too close to something that could be, it could be me taking it seriously. And I think that was what made it most awkward because everyone around it, because it wasn't so obviously a joke, took it very seriously. And that left me in a, you, there's no, you can't even style it out. And then, to, I don't know, to cap it off, because I'm quite keen to move on. Um, but to cap it off, I remember a couple of weeks later, or however long, a couple of weeks, a month later, um, we had a Hart Senior Cup match away somewhere terrible, like used to be the case. And so obviously a lot of proximity to what's going on. And um, <laughs> I remember somehow bumping into Paul Fairclough, because you, you sort of could have, at those things <clears throat> before or after the probably before the game and he only bloody remembered me didn't he as well from that and, it, and he's going you know did, did you enjoy your, did you enjoy the day was it a good like all that and yeah I mean uh, not, you can't nothing bad about him because fair play for, for his job to take it seriously he's very professional but yeah that's probably the the moment that or a, a moment, because it was all a bit nuts, it was a moment where I was like, this is, that was that, just um, fucking ridiculous. That, that, that game you're referring to, it just popped into my head when, when I thought about it. I think you're talking about Oxy Jets. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was a, a bad night for everyone involved. But uh, yeah, especially you. Sorry, mate. What did I do? Well, you got Paul Fairclough, didn't you? Uh, that Oxy Jets were really lost 2-1, wasn't it? And like they were like, you know, uh, factory team or something i don't know and uh i remember it was that it was that the one where there was an incident in the car park at full time where one one supporter was particularly irate and they stopped Fairclough's car and were shouting Fairclough resign and then westy in the background was going Fairclough resign yes <laughs> 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 uh, which took a bit of the sting out of that situation i think it could have been uh, i have to say it sounds like he should have been less concerned about the mascot from a few weeks before and more concerned about the players on the pitch if you ask me I, <laughs> god um can we so anyway, talk about someone else doing something stupid now please <laughs> well hopefully that was maybe a bit of a watershed moment because then like you say once you hit 18 or around there and you can go in the pub and be maybe a bit more normal in your general activity around around the football um but you then start to see the players in in other scenarios and kind of situations where still exciting but um you know it, it's it's a totally different context i remember i think the first one probably around a similar time to that was uh, getting on the night bus from outside the Weaver. Yeah. I, th I think we'd been away that day somewhere. We'd come back um, and just, just had a Saturday night in the Weaver, got on the bus and uh, Scott McLeish just standing opposite us. And um, sitting, no, he, didn't. he was sitting down. It was, so I remember this because we walked on a bit worse for wear and both of us walked past because he was on, if you get on the bus, pay your money or whatever. And then immediately on the right hand side, there was two seats and we sat there with a the woman and we both walked past him and then looked at each other and were like, was that, was that what we think that was? And like all the bits we've talked about here already, where you're, you do the, well, you say something, you say something. Got to remember, add that to alcohol. <laughs> and we're fighting over each other to start that conversation. <laughs> and yeah, as I recall, and we won't, you know, out him uh, without him here to defend himself or say anything, but he was pretty open, wasn't he, at the time about yeah. the way he left Barnet and whatever else. Um, 
And and at that point, I don't think our pleas for him to come back worked. But a few years later, we signed again on loan. But um, that was obviously really exciting. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, sometimes you see see players in other situations. Obviously, we probably won't go into a lot of the same cool places that uh, young professional footballers go on a Saturday night um, much. But I remember one night in the electric ballroom in Camden, a few years later, probably from the McLeish thing now, uh, where two first-team players were were present. I think they turned up separately, but we managed to get them together, certainly with us. And it was um, Danny Hart, obviously the local boy playing for us at the time, and uh, Nicky Nicolau. Yeah, and wasn't one of them in Fred Yeah, I think Danny Hart was dressed up like he had like a wig on, a glove. I don't know if it was like a thriller or <laughs> I don't rock, know what rock, it was. Some sort of rock star or some, some description. <laughs> but I remember, I remember whoever spotted them, I can't remember who spotted them, but whoever spotted them sort of ran over to the group of us that were in there and said, Nicky Nicolau and Danny Hart's in here. And we tried to style it out by just like walking over to the bar and going to get drinks and what have you. But um, yeah, that, that night in particular for me was... Uh, a forgettable one because, well, well, we'll come on to tell the story. Um, Nicky Nicolau recognised me from when I worked at the club. So uh, I was just chatting to him about uh, at the bar about some sort of nonsense. And I offered to buy him a Jager bomb. And that was probably, that was a time where Jager bombs were a new thing and they were very exciting. So we'd had quite a few of them in the lead up to going into this bar. Uh, and then um, in the ballroom, it was a little bit more expensive than perhaps i'd expected so i've gone to buy it uh they poured it and everything else and they showed me the price and i've looked at my wallet and i've realized i actually haven't quite got enough money to cover it so uh i had to very awkwardly nicky nicolau i think to be fair spared my blushes a little bit by looking at me and going don't worry mate i've got this he just sort of looked at, he, he realized the situation and i just sort of looked at him and went mate i'm so sorry i'm so sorry but yeah then about half an hour to 45 minutes later i was being uh, escorted out of there for being too drunk because I was a little <laughs> bit ill. I was a little bit ill in the toilet, so I think um, I think I wasn't in a fit state to be uh, offering out drinks in that way. I mean, I think I think um, they they probably in some ways enjoyed like the the adulation of being spotted and being a bit you know famous to it all. But I think the worst thing that one of them could have said at the start was, uh, "Oh yeah, we know you guys are your faces at Barnet," which. For our egos, our drunken egos, that moment was the worst thing they could have said because they weren't getting rid of us then for the rest of the evening. <laughs> so, oh, well, we're faces. We're just hanging out with the boys, didn't we? Like, it's, uh... The thing is, right, as well, Ian, right, the thing about that, right, that must be about 10 years ago now, and we yeah. still remember them saying that. So just that, the imprint <laughs> on our egos, it's just, I, I, I've been dining out on that since, so I love it. Yeah, I mean, I had Nicky Nicola, I had a little follow-up with him uh, unexpectedly a couple of years later, probably more recently uh, than all that. Um, I was in Brent Cross in New Look, uh, like just before Christmas, could have even been Christmas Eve, buying like some just last-minute bits uh, for, I think we were both doing the same thing, shop for our, our partners or whatever, um, and I was standing at the till just waiting to get to get served, and I, I'd sort of recognised him behind me, but I wasn't sure. And then all of a sudden, he, started, he tapped me on the shoulder. And I was like, I turned around. I realised who it was, but I didn't acknowledge. And he was like, do you reckon uh, this, this dressing gown will fit? And I was like, well, <laughs> fit, fit who? And uh, he was like, oh, just, you know, for bird, for bird. And I was like, yeah, but I don't know. Uh, like, uh, yeah, probably, probably. Like, yeah, it looks about the right size. Doesn't it? <laughs> and it was a bit like he then wanted to carry on the conversation, but I just couldn't take anything about the scenario seriously enough to give him maybe a bit of satisfaction and go, you uh nicky nicola so we just had this really strange conversation about 
the items of women's clothing. I think I was buying some socks, so nothing going excited. The items of women's clothing we were buying, and then uh, did our business at the till, and, and that was it. But uh, pretty yeah. surreal. I um I also remember another one with him, Ian. I think I I, I think I was with you. I, I I can't remember who it was I was with, but it was a pre-holiday shopping trip, and we went for a Nando's in there, uh, in Brentcroft, <coughs> and Nicky Nicolau was sat there, and again I got chatting to him, but unfortunately that's not my best. Nando's random story with a player. Um, I remember it was again sort of uh, towards the back end of the Underhill era. We had a player called Tommy Fraser, and uh, he'd not been scary at the bloke. Sorry, scary bloke. Well, he came oh. with a scary reputation. Craig, wasn't it? what was that about? He, All right. Yeah. So it's one of those things where you you got to be careful for many reasons. But I think it's on his Wikipedia page or something like that. So I should. It should caveat what i'm about to say with is anecdotal and <laughs> i don't know if it's fully true but allegedly according to wikipedia and I'm, i think some news news articles around when he was playing at brighton um i think his granddad um had was a you know was a gangster or, or was 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 in and amongst the, the craze or, or, or whatever in and amongst that crowd at the time and had a bit of a reputation i don't know the full facts on that but Certainly, a, a reporter reportedly went up to Tommy Fraser after a game and, at Brighton and said, does your granddad come and watch you? And he said, uh, no, he doesn't come and watch me very often, but he reads all the reviews in the newspapers. And allegedly, from that, from that moment onwards, Tommy Fraser never received lower than a 7 out of 10 uh, in, 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 uh, in, in post-match reviews or whatever after. Which I always thought was... But again, comes with a bit of reputation. Came with a reputation as a hard man himself anyway, in his own right, to be fair. And, and I, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I mean, there there was sort of that air of a a little bit of a reputation, but I was um, obviously connected to my previous line of work with the club. Um, I had a few, still had a few people there, sort of who who knew me. So someone put me in touch with Tommy Fraser, um, and he was living in I think somewhere around Stanmore or Mill Hill. The, the club had put him up at the time. I think that was when they were training at the Hive. Um, so I went round there and sort of helped Tommy Fraser out with a little bit of um, sort of techie business that he needed some support on for, for something that he was running. And uh, sort of finished all that in his flat for about an hour or so. And then he, he said, uh, oh, I'm, uh, I'm a bit hungry. Do you, uh, I'm going to go and get a Nando's. Do you, do you, do you fancy, do you fancy coming along and I'll uh, sort of, I'll get, I'll get you a Nando's to say thank you. Um, I was like, yeah, well, it's not, it's one of those things where you can't really say no. So we went to Nando's, I think it was probably in Mill Hill somewhere, and uh, he parked up in, like, so, you know, you, you get, like, a central reservation sort of near a station somewhere where you just definitely cannot park. You can't leave your car there for a, for a long period of time. So we went into Nando's. I'd never been there before. Uh, I, ordered, I ordered whatever I saw on the menu because I just felt like I couldn't take too long to deliberate over the situation. Uh, and a traffic warden has come up and started looking at Tommy Fraser's car. And I sort of pointed it out to Tommy Fraser and said, look, this, this traffic warden's come along. And uh, <laughs> basically, the, the, he's rushed out there, put his put his knife and fork down, thrown that down on the table, walked outside. And he's just gone to have a conversation with this traffic warden. And obviously, I'm inside, he's outside, and I can't hear the conversation. But I can sort of imagine the sort of things that may have been said. Uh, and within about a minute or so, the traffic warden was not giving him the ticket that he ought to have given him. So uh, I promptly, uh, promptly finished my uh, my Nando's. It was very nice, and uh, we went our separate ways. But I just it just felt like a really surreal situation to be in to just go for a meal 
one-on-one -on -one with a sort of quite obscure Barnet player. It's the sort of thing you, you wake up and you think, did I just dream this or did I... Yeah, was, was there much, much of a chat? It, during it the meal, I just I, I I can't really remember. I think I was I think I was talking about my uh, recollection of going to Barnet and sort of maybe talking about his career a little bit. I really can't remember if there was much chat. I don't think it was like an awkward silence or anything like that. But because he was he was quite a chatty bloke from what I remember. But yeah, it was um it was still in the back of my head that it was a very very surreal, bizarre situation to be in at the best of times. Yeah, I mean, we're talking of, of chats with players, I think there's one for me that stands out a little bit, which didn't even need to be in the same place maybe as a, as a Barnet player to have an interaction with them. Was uh, when I was at uni um, on a night out, yeah, must be more than 10 years ago now, and uh, a big, big group of us had gone out and one of the lads um, had brought a girl back with him um, and we were all sitting in his living room, I think, having some post-night out drinks as well, I think, as, was the thing to do at that time, about three o'clock in the morning on a... Monday into Tuesday, if I remember rightly. And uh, this girl who's come back was from the northeast and she's chatting away and she asked me where I was from and I said, Oh, Barnet, just eat for sake of ease. Um, you know, I was often my point of reference to people because of the football team. And she went, Oh, Barnet, I'm not gonna do her accent. <laughs> and she was like, I've got a mate who plays for them. And like, again, obviously times have moved on a bit, but this is quite exciting as a development. So what do you mean you got a mate who plays for them? Oh, Nikki Devidix. And I, I chose to sort of, <laughs> I like to think it reverse psychology. I was like, nah, you don't know Nikki Devidix. Like, as if that's completely impossible. So I, no, I do, I do. And she gets quite, she got quite um, heated about it almost. And she's like, look, I can prove it. I've got his phone number. <laughs> Which <laughs> was like a red rag to a bull, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> I was like, well, let's give him a call. <laughs> Not thinking of the fact that, as I say, it's about three o'clock in the morning and he would have had training the next day. So we, we ring Nicky Devidix on loudspeaker and uh, it rings a few times. But then amazingly, I don't know why, he answered the phone. Um, and and I, as I recall, she kind of said, oh, hi, Nicky. And I, I just took the phone off her, <laughs> took the phone off and walked down, walked out the room into the kitchen or something. And uh, I just remember sitting, sitting in my mate's kitchen being like, right, yeah, Nicky. Uh, I'm sorry, and I apologise in profusely over and over again for waking him up, but also getting some things off my chest about how the performance at Berry on Saturday just gone was unacceptable. You were all right, you were all right, but the rest of them. Um, <laughs> and, and he was incredibly good-natured about it all. Like, he couldn't have been more understanding or more nice about things, given the scenario. Um, and I believe at the time he was lodging or renting a room or something with someone that we we know um, and so that story spread around quite a lot amongst, I think, fans and players at the time. But uh, he, he was he was very reasonable. I've always kind of hoped that I'd, I'd run into him to apologise uh, for, for disturbing him that night. But he was top class about it, to be fair. Right. Well, I think that kind of brings us to a conclusion on some of our stranger interactions with players uh, away from the podcast in the past. My sides are still recovering a bit from Grazioli's clip art birthday card, to be honest with you. Um and the only one that we haven't talked about, I've still got regrets, is I saw Clovis Camjo at Fulham v Reading a couple of years ago. I'm not sure what I was doing there either. And I completely bottled it, uh, going and saying hello to him, which to this day I regret. Maybe we'll try and get him on here at some point to make up for that. Yeah, I saw him play at St Albans a few months ago. He was, um, he was there for a little while and uh, I also bottled the interaction. But I thought as a 33-year-old person, I thought, yeah, probably not... Uh, Probably not a cool thing to be doing to re remind him that he played for Barnet and uh, say that he, we really, really, really love him. 
still regretting it now though, aren't you? So uh yes. Define cool. Um yeah. all right, well I think that's all from us for this time. Uh next time we'll be with another guest. So we look forward to uh, you joining us then. Cheers for listening. Most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ryan, that can't play. Lovely stuff from Curry, not a bad try.